The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. The headlines this hour, a trillion dollar new stimulus plan puts Republicans on a collision course with Democrats over cuts to unemployment benefits. As Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says, America, quote, has one foot in the pandemic, one foot in the recovery. Senate Republicans and the administration have been consulting over the last few weeks to come up with a realistic proposal with what we think is an appropriate amount of additional debt to be added uh, to the economy at this time. Gold hovers at record highs, but retreats from touching $2,000 an ounce, providing some respite for the greenback as Fed officials are expected to maintain their dovish forward guidance. Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez says the UK quarantine decision is not justified as Britain expands its travel restrictions to include the islands, prompting more operators to suspend flights. And Malaysia's ex-Prime Minister Najib Razak is found guilty of all seven corruption charges brought against him in the 1MDB trial, convicting him of money laundering, abuse of power and breach of trust. And a focus on luxury earnings, another slew of earnings disappoint with Montclair reporting its first ever first half loss, while the world's largest luxury group LVMH puts in a near 70% decline in operating profits. We'll have an analyst focus on the sector on the programme. Uh, but let's kick off this morning by focusing on the Trump administration's efforts to come up with a new stimulus plan. The administration and Senate Republicans have unveiled a new trillion dollar coronavirus relief package in a bid to provide more support to the world's largest economy. The plan calls for a decrease in unemployment benefits and $16 billion for virus testing, along with a fresh round of direct payments to Americans and loans for hard-hit small businesses. The Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has defended the package, saying it helps the country while it has, quote, one foot in the pandemic and one foot in the recovery. But he added the plan may change during negotiations with Democrats. I think this is a starting place. Uh, you can see that we've had a lot of our members <clears throat> involved in the start. And we can't pass a bill in the Senate without Democrats, nor obviously can it pass the House. <clears throat> so every bill has to start somewhere. The Republicans are in the majority in the Senate. This is the starting place. And we'll get, you all will have plenty of stories to cover along the way as we have these discussions back and forth across party lines and with the administration. Yeah, I know politicians have to say something all the time with catchy phrases. I was trying to work out if I understood what one foot in the pandemic, one foot in the recovery actually means. And the more I think about it, the more I get it, which I think is a worrying indictment of me. Right. OK. Uh, Democrats who uh, need to approve the plan says it does not do enough to help Americans. The Senate minority leader, who is Chuck Schumer, also accused Republicans of allowing party infighting to delay the release of their proposal. We had hoped that the... Uh 
there'd be a bill, and instead in the, ha in the Senate they put together little pieces here and there and everywhere. It's pretty clear they don't have 51 votes in the Senate among the Republicans for a proposal. And uh, it's frustrating because they've dithered for three months. We're now at various very serious cliffs that hurt lots of people, unemployment, rental, state and local. And uh, they're still trying to get their act together, which is very frustrating because of the needs of people. I guess the question for our next guest before we get to the next sound is really how do you reconcile two massively opposing parties just before a presidential election? It's going to be a tough ask, but lawmakers have now got to try and find some form of reconciliation with the Republican plan with a $3 trillion Democratic package, which was released back in May. Uh, deep divisions still remain with the House Minority Leader, that's Kevin McCarthy, uh, telling CNBC that the Democrats' proposal was unrealistic. And a lot of the items in there are almost like a wish list, things they all wanted politically before we even had COVID. We should really focus. If we want to help America get through this pandemic, we should structure it, public health and economics. Uh, well, let's bring in uh, Peter Trubowitz, uh, head of International Relations Department at the LSE. Peter, very good morning to you. Thank you for joining morning, us. Yeah. Well, help us unpick this a little bit so our audience can understand what the main bones of contention are. You, you listen to Mitch McConnell and uh, he sounds like butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. And this is purely down to the Democrats digging in their heels. Well, I think actually, I mean, look, McConnell came in with a proposal of $200 per week in jobless aid as an opening move. And the main reason is, is because he's got a divided Republican Congress that won't go along with the, the Democratic plan. So his hope is he can land somewhere between the 200 per week that the Republicans are offering in an opening bid in the Democrats plan, while getting the Democrats to agree to other key provisions. One, I think, in particular that Republicans r really want, which is a, that McConnell in particular wants, which is a, a plan to protect businesses from, uh, from lawsuits over the virus. It's a pretty high stakes game of poker when you stop and you think about it, because the last round of COVID uh, unemployment benefits will, uh, will end this Friday evening. Is there a, not an argument that Mitch McConnell is presenting a, a Republican pitch that looks fiscally responsible? And perhaps uh, for a lot of Americans who are asking themselves, how are we going to pay for this and which generation is going to be picking up the tab? Doesn't it sound right that uh, at least uh, one politician in the United States is talking about $200 and not $600 or $800? Yeah, I think that for for some Americans that will sound right. But, you know, sometime this week, in the next couple of days, the United States is going to hit the official death toll from the virus is going to tick over 150,000. And I think just a lot of Americans are focused on that. The polls right now are showing that 80% of Americans think the country is on the wrong track. Some of that has to do with the economy, but, you know, with businesses and so forth. But I mean, it, most of it has to do with all the Americans that are out of work. 20 million, over 20 million Americans depend on this aid. I don't think they're, they're that focused on whether it's 200 or 600 per week. 
Uh, Peter, we've been here before just a, a few days, well, 100 days just less now before the US presidential election. We were here in 2016 and Hillary was streets ahead at this stage as well. It appears, according to the latest data, including the Wall Street Journal NBC poll, that uh, Mr. Biden is in a similar position. How does he lose the election? Um, I think right now the way he's campaigning is very effective. He's not saying very much. He's not very active. So there can be, you know, there can be plenty of flaws that way. And the candidate is not a perfect candidate. There could be issues if he makes the wrong choice with the VP. But I think that, you know, um, with a choice that is too controversial or somebody that hasn't been properly vetted, I think that's unlikely, but it's possible that kind of thing has happened before. I think the more likely thing is that, you know, we see changes, um, you know, I mean, I think what he has to worry about is that that there is um, uh, a is that the pandemic um, subsides or that there's a vaccine or that it becomes pretty clear to Americans there's a vaccine just around the corner. So I think the thing is, is and I, I think the the other thing to just say here is that the Republicans will play a very tough game in terms of suppressing the vote. And and I think that this is this is a vulnerability that the Democrats have to pay a lot of attention to as we get, uh, you know, down into uh, October. It, the ground game is going to matter a lot. The Republicans have a good game. I think this will close. It will get tighter. Um, and then there are shy, shy Trump voters, people who are not admitting right now that they're going to vote for Donald Trump, but will. So I'm very interested. Ordinarily, I would suggest, and again, you're the expert, that US elections come down to how people feel about their own economic situation. And we've got plenty of examples of this over the years. Is this election different because of COVID-19? Yeah, I think there's just so much going on right now. So it's, I don't, I mean, I think the economy matters a lot. And were it, you know, like to bounce back between now and then, I think that's a big boost for the, obviously for the president. But, um, but I think the two things are so inter, uh, intertwined and, and intermixed. And I think Americans are very focused on, on the number of people are dying. It is a very clear measure of competency at the top. And, you know, I just, I believe at the end of the day, competency matters. Peter, let's let's just talk about deadlines here then, because uh, while we see this wrangling continue, uh, the markets are ebbing and flowing on uh, breaking information about agreement on this deal. Will they get this sewn up, do you think, by August 8th? I think there's a decent chance. Um, I mean, look, you know, Jeff, I think this really comes down to who do you think's got the bargaining edge, Pelosi or McConnell? And I give the edge to Pelosi, and I do for two reasons. First, I think there are just too many vulnerable Republican senators right now who come from states in the throes of the pandemic. The last thing they need is to be seen voting against relief or to be seen dragging their feet. 
Second, and I, you know, I think, I mean, Trump can't stand Pelosi, but frankly, his interests on this issue are closer to hers than to McConnell's. He needs to show he's doing something to help Americans hurt by the pandemic, because most of the public, and importantly, if you look at these polls, like the ones you mentioned earlier, like the Wall Street Journal and NBC poll, an increasing number of Americans think he's making a hash of things. Uh, and let's just talk about um, uh, the election. Uh, you know, Steve took you down this path here and you were talking about some of those uh, who won't profess publicly that they're going to vote for Donald Trump, uh, but probably will when it comes down to it. What would it take at this point as we get closer to the election for those hidden Trump supporters to change their mind, Peter? You mean to to vote for Donald, uh, vote for Joe Biden? Yeah. Yeah, and not not to 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 pull the lever for 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 Trump. I think if if the pandemic continues to roll like it is through the Sun Belt states, and there really is no relief coming, you know, soon. If it just continues to stay at this level, or you know, uh, just not get much better, I just think that really, you know. It hurts those Republicans, it hurts those Republican senators, and it'll hurt Trump. And, you know, it's just remarkable to me that the president has taken as long as he has to start to acknowledge some of the the science behind all of this. Mr. Trubovitz, or I should say Professor Trubovitz, we've got to leave it there, Peter. And I kind of miss you. You're one of the few people I actually saw when I was on my travels around uh, London um, with I, Mike all those times. I'm going to look forward to seeing you again out there. I, I walk every morning, so I'm sure I'll see you soon. You take it easy. Yeah, Good to be with I think you. I'm 63 and done, but let's just see. It may be Jeff is all I can say. Peter Trubovitz, Head of International Relations Department at the LSE. Thank you very much indeed, my friend. Right, very good. Okay, let's move on. Let's take a look at uh, ING, um, one of Europe's premier banks as well. If you look at the year-to-date performance on this chart, one thing you will note compared with uh, other sectors is the lack of of um, upside from the lows in this sector. For instance, ING, whose shares were 11.26 as a 52-week high. Their low was 4.23, that's four euros, 23 cents. Their current traded level as of yesterday was 6.28. This sector uh, trades, again, we're looking for value in the markets as well. There is a reason why on both sides of the Atlantic, people are very skeptical of the ability of banks to recover. Uh, This one trades, incidentally, on around about a five times forward PE. Right, but they've got some news to and they expect to book approximately 300 million euros as an impairment on goodwill on its balance sheet in the second quarter results as well. Accounting adjustment does not involve any cash outflow and will not impact ING's capital ratios. Very important for many people there as well. Um, Follows negative developments in the macroeconomic outlook for relevant business units in the context of COVID-19. And Jeff, whether it's the financial sector or whether it is across broader corporate uh, numbers across the world as well, we're going to see more and more of this. This is a gentle guidance to say to people, look, we're just not seeing Uh, that big, quick recovery that many of you hoped. No, absolutely. It's the sleeping tiger, isn't it? It's it's the issue that is going to dog us through the second half of uh, 2020. Let's uh, focus a little bit on the overnight action from the markets here. And as you can see on the wall behind me, we had uh, reasonably strong closes actually in the US session. Quite a contrast to some of the weakness that we saw pervading the European trading day. There were a couple of things. uh, We had that conversation with uh, Peter Trubovitz 
minutes there talking about the outlook on this stimulus plan, some optimism that it will get done before they go into recess in the United States. The other story that caught some attention was the Moderna Pfizer test. And uh, we did get a bit more information about that. Uh, Moderna, Pfizer start decisive COVID-19 vaccine trials. They are looking at a year-end launch. And quite frankly, at the moment, in some of those uh, Sunbelt states in the uh, United States, they are looking for any crumb of comfort they can get at this point. Um, The other big story, of course, that we've been watching, and it's um, had a Jekyll and Hyde aspect in that the DXY, the dollar, is weaker and gold has been a beneficiary of that. Can we have a quick look at some of the uh, dollar crosses? If we can pop those up and just put them behind me so I can just give the folks who are watching this morning some detail on exactly how much of a move we're getting at the moment. An interesting um, CNBC Pro uh, talked to Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs saying that this weak dollar, they think, will ultimately prompt foreign investors to sink another $300 billion into U.S. stocks. What about the outlook for gold then from here? Just ask yourself the question, why are you buying gold at this point? Are you buying gold because you believe in in inflation? Do you think it's a store of value? Do you think it represents real money that can't be debased by central banks? Gold had a quick look at the $2,000 level and then pulled back from that. It is probably just worth pointing out here, I don't want to sow seeds of doubt in your mind, but as we continue to look at weaker yields on the treasuries, they tell us there is no inflation coming, and yet people are chasing gold higher. And if they're chasing it higher because of inflation, they should be aware that these two markets are telling you different stories. Asia, let's have a look at the Asian session then. And we did get a a little bit of support because of that stronger close in the United States here. Um, If we gave you the fuller picture of the Asian markets, I think you get a slightly better sense of how much positivity there is in the session. But as it is, we've got four boards here, and they show you a split decision at this point. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. Coming up, the world's biggest luxury group feels the pain of lockdowns and store closures as it reports its first half results. And coming up later on, we speak exclusively to ECB Supervisory Board Chair Andrea Enria to take an in-depth look at the Eurozone's banking sector. That interview involving Aneta, as you can see on your screen there, will be at 10.15 CET. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. All right, welcome back to Scorebox with Jeff Cutmore and myself, Steve Cedric. There's a slightly more positive bias to a lot of the equity markets. We'll talk you through that as we build up towards the open. But 
Clearly, it is the relationship between COVID-19 and its societal and economic impact, which is having the biggest effect on markets at the moment, including the fact now that the number of coronavirus cases in hotspots across the United States has actually started to ease. Now, that's the first time in nearly three weeks Florida recorded its smallest jump in infections. That's below 9,000. Both California and Arizona also saw the fewest number of new infections in around about a week. Now, in the meantime, President Trump's uh, national security advisor, Robert O'Brien, has tested positive for coronavirus. He's the highest ranking U.S. official to confirm to confirm a COVID infection. Uh, the White House says he's experiencing mild symptoms and is self-isolating, adding that there was no risk of exposure to either the president or indeed the VP, uh, Mike Pence. Jeff. Shares of Pfizer and BioNTech moved higher in extended trade after the companies said they began late stage human trials for a potential vaccine. More than 30,000 people between the ages of 18 and 85 will take part in the trial. It'll take place across 120 sites around the world. If successful, the first doses of the vaccine could arrive by the end of the year. Shares of Moderna also rose about 6% in yesterday's trade. The company secured an extra $472 million from the US government. The additional funding will help Moderna's late-stage development of a candidate vaccine as well as its own human trial. The company plans to test the potential vaccine on 30,000 people. Speaking to our US colleagues, the CEO, uh, Stefan Bansell, said results from the late-stage trial could be released in the autumn. October is possible. It's a really uh, optimistic scenario. Uh, it could be November. Again, at this stage, it's impossible for us to know precisely. It will just depend on the, uh, the, the event rate the attack rate of infection. So, question for you, viewers. Why should you listen to a billionaire tech entrepreneur when he talks about COVID-19? Why should you listen to Bill Gates when he's on our programming at 1300 CET? Any thoughts about that one? I'll tell you why. Because back in April 2015, he did a very interesting TED Talk. If you haven't seen it or heard about it, then more for you. Because Bill Gates uh, said this was coming. He said we should be careful. Uh, and he said that a long, long time ago, five years ago, he said we should be prepared for this and we're not. Jeff, back to you. Uh, Steve, thank you. Montclair has posted the group's first ever first half loss as sales were hit by lockdowns in its key markets. The Italian fashion group refused to offer a forecast for the rest of the year, but said it did not expect immediate respite from the crisis. Sales in the second quarter alone fell by 50%. Yeah, similar kind of story, Jeff, over at LVMH. Uh, their first half profit has fallen 68%. Now, this is despite the world's largest luxury group adopting drastic cost-cutting measures. And Charlotte, I know I'm not the core market. And I know Mr. Cutmore's not the core market. But perhaps the likes of you and Karen and other people who know a good thing when they see it. But the problem is, even the rich people I know, and I know one or two, they wouldn't think about buying luxury items at the moment, not unless they think they're getting a real bargain. They can sell it at a higher price. I'm not sure they can do that with Moncler and LVMH. You're right, Stephen, that the results we saw from AGMH last night kind of reflected uh, what you were saying. Well, Q2 revenue was down 38%. So actually, that was a little bit better than expected. The forecast was something down 40 to 40%. And actually, it was down 38%, that's 7.8%. 
billion euros. But as you mentioned uh, in the headline there, uh, H1 recurring profit was down 68% to 1.67 billion euros. So that was way uh, below expectations. Operating margins also missed expectations at 9%. So looking at the details here between the different divisions at LVMH, now they said that fashion leather goods, which is really the money-making segment of the business, they said they saw remarkable resilience at Louis Vuitton and Dior. So these two brands keeping with the momentum that we've seen in previous quarters there. And something that is interesting and that also analysts will be watching for the wider luxury sectors that is saw a very strong recovery in revenue in China. And of course, the, lux the, the Chinese consumer, the all important uh, Chinese consumer for the luxury sector here, they saw a very strong recovery uh, from that country. And they said they saw some repatriation of sales uh, that uh, those consumers couldn't make in foreign trips there. Also, they said that they saw some encouraging signs in June across the different activities of the business. And they saw some activities also coming back, a gradual improvement in the US and in Europe. So again, once the lockdown have been starting to come off in those regions, they say, LVMH said that they've seen some improvement on the sales there. On the negative ones, they said that travel retail, where they posted a loss for the first half, they will continue to suffer for the several quarters coming ahead and also a sharp decline in watches and jewelry and the same particular um, jewelry that doesn't change their rationale behind uh, the thinking on the Tiffany's deal. They said there will be a delay in completing that deal due to the COVID crisis. They were hoping to get the green light from the antitrust uh, authorities over the summer. They said there might be a delay, but they are committed to the Tiffany's deal. So it'll be interesting to watch uh, what Kering says tonight, their competitor publishing results tonight. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.